You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. Let's talk about fear. For the last week, I have been researching fear scientifically, biologically, sociologically, psychologically, mentally, spiritually. I've been looking at fear and and finding out, and they're all connected. It's not just a biological thing, and it's not just a spiritual thing. As you may know, you are a body, or you are a spirit that has a body, and they work together. How many times are we influenced by the way we feel? And fear is something that is so prevalent. This thought came to me to talk on fear even earlier in last or the end of last year when the terrorist attack happened in Paris, San Bernardino, you know, the things that are happening in our world. I remember when I was a child being afraid, and I know it was a long time ago, but there were things that would just haunt me at night. I was worried about a world war. I was worried about whirlpools. I don't know why, but I just thought I'm going to die in a whirlpool. The, the idea frightened me. And there were things, and I would just think, that's how I'm going to die. I'm going to die in a whirlpool. And it would just consume me, right? I didn't live near a body of water, but I thought for sure I, that's how I was going to die. And, and, so, and as a child, it's like, what do you do with this? What do you do with this fear? How do you escape these thoughts that would just make you want to weep and and just hurt so much inside? And and I think of our children today where things are so much more prevalent and available to see through the media, through the news, through YouTube, through just social media. There are things that are constantly being bombarded. And it's not just our children. Fear influences our society, and us in so many ways. Think about how many areas in your life have been driven by fear or maybe have stopped. How many things you've done because you were afraid or not done because you were afraid. Think of the role that fear has played in your own life. And those who believe in God aren't immune to this. And you should know that. Those of you who believe in God, you might find yourself still afraid, things that haunt you. And and so what I want to do, I want to start out right now, and I want you to write down, what do you fear? Now, I don't want, well, first let's talk about fear. Let's get a definition. Here's the definition. Fear, a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, Etc. We're going to talk a lot about that, etc., because I think we live there so many times. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or conditioned of being afraid. I want you to write down something that you are afraid of. What do you fear? Don't write down what do you fear. Write down what you are afraid of. And you can text yourself if you have a pencil and paper, if you're still old school and killing trees. You, you can do that. But I want you to put down something that when you think this is what consumes me, if I'm afraid of something, this is it. 
And it, it could be something huge. Parents, it might include your children. It might include health. Whatever it is, I, I want you to write down what it is that you're afraid of. Because we are all affected by this. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your social status, your gender. Every human being experiences and deals with this emotion of fear. People of faith, people who don't have faith, both experience fear. Do you guys remember Y2K, where the world was going to end? I mostly heard about that from the Christian community, as I recall. What about last year? Do you guys remember Ebola? Do you remember me? I told you last year. Do you guys remember me telling you don't to worry about Ebola? And because everyone, how many people thought they encountered someone who had Ebola? Just when it's like, oh, this person has Ebola, and it didn't happen. There was maybe a hundred cases where a person had contact with Ebola in the United States. But man, we were sure the guy at work had it because he was coughing, right? Because immediately your mind goes to this place. Fear takes hold of your mind and it starts to develop these things. And fear starts to dictate how we think. It starts to control where our minds go. It's a great motivator. Politics is motivated by fear. Donald Miller in his book, Scary Close, it's a great book, I recommend it. He was talking to a political strategist who actually made commercials for senators and gubernatorial candidates and especially attacking the opponents. And as he was having this dialogue with this gentleman for a few hours, he said he was a great guy, but he asked him about his job and he said, Quote, my job is to scare the hell out of the senior citizens in southern, Cal in southern Florida and convince them that their medical benefits are going to be taken away. That was his job. And then Donald asked him, well, is it true? And he said, not really. And he went on in the conversation that he had. He says, the worst part of what we do to each other, and it's on both sides, you would be surprised at how easy it is to convince the American people that a perfectly good man is a demon. See, because if I can provoke you with fear, you will be set, rigid in your thinking, and stay with our agenda. Fear drives the political system. This candidate wins. Where will we be? They're going to take this away. They're going to do this. And now we're motivated by fear. And these things start to permeate our thinking, and it's going to permeate the media because it's an election year. And I want you to just think about how we are reacting to these things because it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, we share this emotion of fear. And fear masters how we live. It controls us. In one of the researches that I was looking at, there was an environmental psychologist named Roger Hart. And in the 1970s, he went to Vermont because Vermont, he wanted to study 
the behavior of children. He thought they're studying the behavior of gorillas, but no one's studying the behavior of children. So he went to Vermont and started looking at the children and he would find kids four or five years old wandering into the woods out in Vermont, laughing, making fart noises, doing all the things that kids do, right? And then when it would get dark, they would wander home, but there was no concern about them being abducted. There was no concern about, you know, if they were going to be hurt or injured by someone. They were just kids. And maybe you were in the 70s and you kind of remember that. I remember that. I remember walking down the street at nine o'clock at night with my brother and just heading home. A few years ago, Roger went back to the same city in Vermont to find out. And as he started observing the behavior of the children, he found out it was an incredible difference from the 70s. The children no longer wander very far from their own home. They have to stay in their neighborhood or even closer, even though crime has not changed one bit. There has not been any more or less abductions, murders, thefts, robberies in that city than there was in the 70s. What changed? Fear. They're hearing about abductions. You have all these TV shows. What's that one, the ID channel or something, man? All it is is about, you know, the husband who killed his wife. And, I mean, you watch those and, you know, my family likes to watch those. And pretty soon they're looking at me funny like, what are you doing? (laughs) (sighs) What are you doing with that knife? (laughs) It's going to put peanut butter on the sandwich, you know. Okay, we're watching you. You know, we watch the channel. I mean, you've got NCIS, you've got Criminal Minds, you've got all these programs, you've got the news, you've got YouTube, you've got all these things promoting all the worst that happens, and so it's prevalent in our mind, and so we start changing the behavior. Even though society, crime is down at the lowest rate since it's been in the 50s nationally. Do you know that? No, because that's not what you hear. And so fear drives us to these things. You see, there, there's a portion in our brain that's called the amygdala, and that's responsible for the fear. Fear isn't a bad thing. There's times you should be afraid. You know, if there is a coyote who's ravenous wandering the school, you should be concerned. There's nothing wrong with fear. But when fear starts to become our master, then our lives are limited by what we are afraid of. And so we need to look at this. And I want to look at the first place where fear appears in Scripture. And it appears in Genesis 3.10. You know the story. You know how God set Adam and Eve in the garden and he had given them freedom to care for the garden, to eat of any tree. There weren't just two trees. There were a lot of trees, but he said, don't eat of the one tree, the the knowledge of good and evil. And they did eat of that tree, 
They were coaxed by a serpent, and serpents are interesting. We'll talk about that maybe in a little bit too. But then we see the response after they eat. God is looking for them, and as he goes to find them in the garden, we see that Adam says, he answered, I heard you in the garden. As God says, Adam, where are you? I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Let me ask you, was Adam naked the day before? Yeah. What changed? It wasn't that he was naked. God saw him naked the day before. God sees us naked. I know it's a little uneasy to think about when you shower like, I like my space, God, you know? What, what changed? What changed was the perspective he had of himself. You see, now there was an awareness that something had changed in his relationship. It was different because they had become broken in their essence from God. An awareness of inadequacy now shaped the conversation with the world around them. And so the reason they were afraid is because they saw who they really were in light to God in the brokenness because of the condition, because of their rebellion, because of the sin. That made them aware, that made them afraid, that made him ashamed. And so Adam is aware of this. And he sees that this conversation around him has changed. And what fear does is it tells a story that we begin to indulge in and it begins to shape our lives and our behavior. We say, oh no, God is going to see me naked. We don't think clearly that God has always saw me naked. We now are aware of our inadequacies. So we start to put those inadequacies in the image of how God is going to see us. And instead of running to God, he actually tries to hide from God. And I think we've been running ever since. You see, we start to tell ourselves a story in fear. Why are we afraid of the dark? Because of what might be there. Right? And you know there's nothing there. But your mind starts telling you something could be there. I remember when I was young, I'd have to take the trash out and the trash cans were behind the garage. And so I'd have to take the trash can out and I was about 10 years old or so. And I'd go out there and I'd like start going, hey, I'm gonna come out there, you know, just like I'm yelling at whatever is there, you know, in case something is there. And then I'd come out there and I'd be all cool and everything going up behind the garage. There'd be the trash cans, dump the trash in the bin. But once you turn around, whatever it is, be it man or beast or some creature, when you turn around, it can get you. And I'd turn around and I would hightail it. I was run as, and the faster I ran, the closer whatever it was got to me. I mean, I would just blindly run. I just like, I wish I had a stopwatch at that time because, man, I was fast. Now, there was nothing there, but I made something. I told myself something is there, something's going to get me. 
You see, Adam was afraid because he was naked, but in reality, it was because he was aware of that naked now, a nakedness now. It wasn't because God saw him differently. For the first time, Adam saw himself, and he ran for his life, but where do you go? And that's exactly what fear does, is it makes you run, but there's really nowhere you can run. Because what's happening is happening in you. It's happening in your life, and you're putting those torturous thoughts in your mind. He saw who he was in relationship to God, and now he was trapped in fear because of his condition. And again, what would have happened if he would have said, God, I did this, instead of trying to hide? He imagined a story that it would be better to run away and hide from God than to actually go before God. What story are we telling ourselves? What, what, what are we developing in our minds? Remember those things that you wrote down that you are afraid of. Most of those things probably don't exist except in your mind and how you think. It's probably not a situation, but it can be. See, that's where your mind goes. And that's where the battle is and how we deal with those things that cause the fear. In 1819, 3,000 miles off the coast of Chile, there were 20 sailors in a whaleboat called the Essex. This was the boat that actually inspired the movie, Moby Dick. The, the boat was struck by a whale. It tore a giant ho- hole in the boat, and the boat sunk. And so 20 sailors got into three small lifeboats with enough provisions just for a short time and the ability to navigate. As they were together, they had to make a decision, where are we going to go from here? They had three options. One was an island that was near to them, but there was rumor that there were cannibals on that island. And so the idea of going to a place where you would be eaten frightened them. Well, if we go there, we might be eaten. The other option was Hawaii, but Hawaii was going through some treacherous place where there was a lot of storms. And the third place was the furthest And it was in South America, but it was so far that they would run out of their provisions if they went there, but it was the safest to get to there. They chose to go to South America. And they did run out of provisions. And though they were afraid of the storms and they were afraid of being eaten by cannibals, they actually resulted or actually went in became cannibals themselves because half of them died and the other half lived off of those who died. The island that they were afraid to go to because of cannibals was Tahiti. There were no cannibals there. It was close. They could have made it. But because of fear, the story they told themselves that would happen there 
It prevented them from going there. That's the power that fear has. I don't know what is there, but I've heard this. I'm worried about this. And so it starts to become reality in our lives and it shapes what we do. And it has to do with this relationship with us and God. And so Christ comes to restore our relationship with God and to help us understand where we are with God. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and how they actually have come to kill, steal, and destroy and to cause problem. And in verse 26, he says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered to your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now, he's talking about those who would be persecuting them. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. There are a couple of important things that we need to recognize that are taking place here. First, notice that Jesus doesn't say in this passage, you can find the courage to overcome your fear. You can find the strength to vanquish your enemies. You can be strong and, and overcome these things that are oppressing you because you're bigger than the problem or you're stronger than your enemy. Instead, what does he tell them? Instead, he tells them that they are worth so much before God. He, sees you, he says you need to understand your value before God. In other words, to deal with your fear, you need to understand your worth to God. Because if you understand who you are to him, it will change the way fear cripples your soul. If you understand how much God cares for you, then it will take away the chains that fear has on your life. And I think that's amazing. He, he, he challenges us, don't be afraid, you're worth so much to God. Fear steps into the place where God is supposed to be in our lives. Steer, fear starts to control us. Fear takes our devotion, takes our thoughts, takes our motivation, and holds it captive. Fear imprisons us. I read an article a while back about Muslims who were coming to faith in Jesus and talking about 
who are the ones who are most effective in communicating Jesus to Muslims? It wasn't missionaries from other countries. It wasn't people who had degrees in theology, who had their doctrine right, who came to tell them. It was other Muslims who were actually putting their lives in danger and weren't trying to get them to stop being Muslims, but instead were trying to show them how much God loved them in Jesus. And they were fearless. And it was something that pulled them because here you are living a life in fear of Am I good enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I pleasing Allah? Will I be accepted? And here comes someone that says, God loves you so much that look what God has done for you. He has given his life through Jesus for you. And I'm here telling you and the risk of my own life that it's true because God has done that for me and has set me free. And it's winning the hearts of countless Muslims. Because there's a freedom from fear that is now motivating them. And that's what we want to motivate us, that freedom. Have you noticed you don't have to teach kids to be afraid of the dark? They just kind of are. How many of here were afraid of the dark when they were little? How many here have issues with honesty? You see, that that fear of the dark is something that is there. It's like, I don't know what's there. Our imagination comes in and fear surfaces. The unknown is what we worry about. I don't know what will happen. I don't know how this is going to end. I'm not sure what's in the closet or under the bed or what will happen to my kids or what the doctor is going to say or if my job will be here tomorrow. The fear of the unknown. One of the things I read was about why people are afraid of snakes. Anyone here afraid of snakes? Whoa, look at all you. Good thing we're not one of those churches, right? I'm going to handle snakes here. (laughs) You know, it's interesting in Proverbs 30, the... The proverb talks about there are four things, three things I don't understand. Yeah, four that make me wonder. One of them is how the snake slithers on the rock. I don't get it. And, and they still don't fully understand how a snake moves. They've mathematically put it together. They've computerized it and they know that it uses its scales and they know that it kind of lifts its body and actually walks more than slithers. But there's still 10% of question, how does this thing move? Isn't that freaky? Just to add a little fear to you who are out there. You see, but it's that unknown that that draws us and makes us want to know. I don't know what's going to happen. We're we're afraid of what might be. And fear paralyzes us and it makes our world smaller. I'm not going to go where there might be snakes. I'm not going to go where there might be crowds. I'm not going to go where I feel uncomfortable I'm not going to travel there because of this. I'm not going to let my child wander into this place because fear is making our world smaller. It paralyzes us. And I think people are more afraid 
of not having value in their life than they are of judgment in hell. I, I think the reason people are afraid uh, of death is because it's an exclamation point of life. We're afraid of what happens after death because we're afraid of what didn't happen before death. I'm afraid that my life has no worth. I'm afraid that I have no value. I'm afraid that this is all meaningless. So the idea of dying is like, period, it's over and you mean nothing. And that's haunting. That's crippling. And so then Jesus' words that we read in Matthew 10, 30, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And God watches over them. God counts the hair on your head. You are of value is Christ's word shouting into a world that feels the same way that Adam did. I'm inadequate. I can't meet your standard. And Jesus says, I know I have come for you to pay the price and to give value back to who you are, who you were created to be. You don't have to be afraid because God cares so much for you that he has sent me. You will find your freedom from fear when you find your value in God. And that's for every area where you're afraid. You will find your freedom from fear when you find your value in God. It's not courage that we need. It's love. See, John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Notice it, it drives out fear. It doesn't ask fear to leave. It doesn't suggest that it goes away. It drives out fear. You know how powerful fear is. You know how it can take control of the way you think, how it can captivate your life, how it can cause shortness of breath, how it affects your biology. It affects everything about you. It can haunt you. It can cripple you. And you see, we're not to let it have mastery over our life. It can be so strong that we can't shake it, but it is powerless to the love of God. It is powerless to the love of God. God's love drives out fear. How do I deal with my fear? I recognize the love that God has for me. Live, love, fear lives in those places where God has not been invited to be present in our lives. You fear where Jesus has not been given mastery over your soul. Well, I don't know if I have cancer. I'm afraid. 
Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that your life is worth more than many sparrow? Do you know that whether you live or you die, you belong to him? Do you realize that your future belongs to him right here, right now? I'm worried about what's going to happen to my child. Do you know how much God loves your child? Do you know how much God is working to accomplish his work in his life? Do you recognize God's love for you and for your child that you can entrust him with the cares and things? You see, what you're doing is saying, I don't trust trust you, God. Fear is now what I'm going to live by because your love doesn't reach that far. Now, we don't like to say that, but that's the truth. Fear has become your master, not God. And what Jesus would say to us is what we just read. Don't be afraid. Do you know how valuable you are to God? Fear lives in those places where God has not been invited. Now, there's another dynamic here that Jesus mentioned. And it's a strange thing because the scripture says that we are to fear the Lord, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And even as Jesus said, don't fear them who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. And he's speaking of God. And isn't it strange that fear is this master, but then we're told to fear the Lord. And I know that I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, it's reverence. It's just having awe for God. But that's not the word that's used. The word is fear. And so we have to wrestle with this fact. Well, how is it that we are to fear the Lord? You say, it's important that we recognize what fear does. Remember that list that I had you write down or that word, whatever is afraid? If you pull that out, what what that's doing is that's really putting that fear is now what is controlling you. It's controlling how you think. It's controlling how you act controlling what you do to some degree, depending on what the fear is. You're afraid of this, and so it's haunting you because it is your master. Are the places where you fear the boundaries your life will live in? Are you giving the keys to your life to those fear? Because if you are, it's a cruel master. It doesn't give you freedom. It doesn't give you peace. You see, the word, the idea of fearing the Lord, it's more than respect. It means fear because God is the only master who you can give him all of who you are, and he replaces it with love. Where I fear God means you're the only one who can be my master. If fear is a master, then you are my master. And the one who I fear loves me completely. Every other master will use fear to limit you. God will use your fear for him to set you free. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, it says, Say to those with fearful hearts. So listen up. Those who wrote something down, he says, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
You see, you fear the one who is on your side. You, you put your mastery into God who is the one who cares for you, who loves you completely. And so that's where our devotion goes. That's who is the master of our lives. If you're here and you have a fearful heart, if you'll admit that your life has been paralyzed by fear, if you can acknowledge that I'm letting fear control this area of my life, it is giving me ulcers, it is keeping me awake at night, it is driving me to medication or, or something else, it is dominating my life. I recognize it, that I'm fear. My freedom has been limited because of that. My boundaries have been established because of that then fearful heart, be strong, don't fear. God has come for you. He's come for you in Jesus. He's come for you in complete love. And he cares for you, who you are. But I'm naked, I'm ashamed. God cares for you. He knows who you are. He knows your condition and he has come for you. What God wants to do is take that fear that was over you and he wants to be the God who is over you. Because if he is over you, you don't need to fear anything else. If God is for us, Paul tells us in Romans 8, who can be against us? What can be against you? Do you believe that God is for you? Well, I don't know. You know, I got laid off. Really, is your job the standard? Well, I don't know. I, I found out I've got this condition. Really, is that condition what is going to limit your life? I don't know. I'm worried about this situation with my child. Is that as far as you can go? Does God not go farther? Does not God not care more? Are we not being called to more? If you live in fear, it not only robs you of your faith, it robs you from your hope. You know, when you're worried about someone, it stills the hope of them actually being better. Why? Because you're so afraid of the worst thing happening. Oh, man, I, I hope they don't fall back into drugs. Oh, man, I hope they don't resort back to this. Oh, I hope they don't get hooked up with these people. Oh, I don't. Is there no hope? No, I'm, I'm just so worried about these things. You know, and then our prayers are all about God. Don't let this happen. God, don't let this happen. God, stop this from happening. And we're telling God what to do as if we have any idea what is the best thing for these people that we don't even fully understand. And God is saying, don't you know I care for them? Don't you know I am going to be working all that I can for their behalf? And don't you know I know what you're feeling through? I care about you as well. 
Can you trust me? And can you say, God, I entrust them to you and God lead them to the place that they'll find you and they'll find freedom. God, take them to the place instead of God, stop them, stop them, stop them. And I'm gonna just put the brakes on everything God does. I want to unleash everything God has for them. And I don't care if they have to go through the mud to get to where you are. God, I want them to find you Take them there. I trust you. You are my God. I will not fear anything other than you because you are the only one who will be my master. I will not allow anything else to shape me or the way I think. Remember, Adam, I was naked. I was afraid. When we're focused on who we are and our inadequacy instead of focused on God and his adequacy, we lose our power. We focus so much on our inability to fix the situation. And if you're like me, you try to fix the situation. Oh man, I'll try. I'll, I'll do everything I can. I'll buy plane tickets. I'll shovel snow. I don't know why I said that because there's snow in the mountains. But I'll do whatever I have to do to try and fix that situation. Let God's love transform you and let it transform into courage. Jesus said in John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. He is talking to his disciples, those who would be his followers, who are about to go through incredible persecution. They are going to lose their lives. They are going to lose their families. They are going to lose their wealth. They're going to lose a lot, but he's giving them something. In spite of those things that maybe would cause fear, he's telling them not to be afraid. I'm going to give you peace. See, you know if you're living in fear, if you have no peace. If there's no peace in your heart, then there's fear. And if there's fear, then love isn't perfected in you. God isn't taking control of that area of our lives. And he wants to. What if you no longer fear death, but had peace? What if you no longer filled failure, but instead had peace because you knew you were loved by God? What if you no longer feared your inadequacy, but you had peace? No longer feared rejection, but had peace? What if you believed the words of Jesus when he says, how valuable you really are. You see, we, we have been hurt, we have been wounded, and we have been shaped by our fears. And just like hearing the sound of a, a dentist drill puts chills up my spine, there are things that come to your mind and they hold you down. There are situations that grab hold of your life and they own you. Because God's love is not seen there. And the way out of the fear is not by being stronger. It's not by toughening up. 
It's by recognizing how much you're loved. You receive his peace, and that peace gives you strength, and that strength gives you courage, and that courage is born out of his love for you. So that fear that has no place in you because you are loved. Stop being afraid of the dark and start being the light of the world because you are so loved by God. Let's pray. Lord, I know the struggles that I have gone through and and some of what my friends and family have gone through. And, And I know the things that grab our minds and our hearts with fear. I know how it affects us, how it shapes us, how it tortures us. And Lord, I I want to see us set free from this fear. I want us to be a people who live with your peace, knowing you are our God, knowing that you are more than adequate for all the inadequacies we have or that those that we love have. That you care for us and all that we're going through. And Lord, may we see every situation shaped through your love for us. May we deal with every circumstance with the understanding of how much you care, how much you love we'd be free from this torment and be free in your love. I want to give us an opportunity to both acknowledge that we have been held by fear and take a stand that we want to fear nothing but God himself, the one who loves us. And so this morning, if you've written down something that you have placed in a place that is holding you down, you have recognized that this has been something that has mastered my life and I don't want it to master my life anymore, would you stand with me and say, I recognize this fear. I recognize the hold it's had on me and I'm standing to acknowledge it. I I am standing to admit my nakedness before God, to admit my sin, my fault, my inadequacy, my failure, my insecurity, my struggles, my weaknesses. God, you see those who are standing. You see us and you see our hearts crying out before you. God, we don't want to live in this fear. We don't want it to master our lives. Jesus, you said that you love us. Jesus, you demonstrated that you love us. 
You told us that we are value to you, that you number the hair on our head. You told us to not be afraid, to be of good courage, that you will come to save us. And Lord, we are praying we would recognize that salvation now, that Jesus, you have come, that God, you do love us. And Lord, we are going to remove this fear from the master of our lives, and we are going to put you there. Because if you are our God, there is nothing else we need to fear. God, forgive me for putting anything in a place that hindered you from being God over everything in me. And Lord, may we be people who walk not in the dark, but in the light. May we be the light of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May you not fear the one who is able to destroy the body, but fear him who holds body and soul and who cares for you perfectly. May your hearts be set free from fear and embrace the peace that comes only through Christ. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Hope to see you throughout the week. Prayer tomorrow. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.